This is your Times Daily World Briefing for Monday, the 12th of September. I'm Nkem Ifejika. And I'm Sonal Patel. Thousands turn out to see the late Queen as she begins her final journey. Because I just love the Queen, quite honestly. I said this from as long as I could remember. Russian missile strikes cause mass blackouts and the Ukrainians recapture territory. Kupiansk, which was one of their major logistic hubs, has fallen. Many of the railway tracks bringing supplies in to the Russians converge in that part of the world. And, and this is a significant reverse for the Russians, a great success for the Ukrainians. Times of London Daily World Briefing. We start in Edinburgh in Scotland, where the late Queen Elizabeth has been lying at rest at Holyrood House, the monarch's official residence in Scotland. She was taken in a vehicle convoy on Sunday from Balmoral Castle, where she died on Thursday. The day began with the Queen's staff, many of whom she'd known for years, carrying the coffin into the hearse. It had been draped in the Scottish version of the royal standard as it snaked slowly through the countryside. The Queen had chosen her daughter, Princess Anne, to ride with the cortege. Times Radio's Callum MacDonald followed the procession. All the way from the Aberdeenshire countryside right to Edinburgh city centre, there were people at every point on the route, and they were either lining the streets, uh, they were standing on motorway flyovers, on mm. the bridges over motorways. In some cases, um, there, were, uh, there was a great guard of honour formed by about 20 or 25 tractors on either side of the road. They, they came right up to the, the fences of their fields to form a, a guard of honour. Uh, the streets of Aberdeen were filled with thousands of people paying their respects, moving on into Dundee as well, through Perth as well. Callum said the Queen had such an affinity for Scotland. One of the things that really struck me in considering the route that the Queen's coffin took was how associated she was with with just about every place that 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 convoy passed through. For example, they crossed the King George VI Bridge, named after the Queen's father, Mm. as they headed out uh, towards Stonehaven and Brechin. And I think that's that's important. Then coming into Edinburgh, Mm. they crossed the Queen's Ferry Crossing, which she opened a few years ago. At, At every stage of this, the Queen was part of the places that the cortege visited. Among the people who came out to pay their respects were Paige and Sophie. Because I just love the Queen, quite honestly. I said this from as long as I could remember. And thankfully she died in Scotland, so it made it much easier for me to be here. (laughs) It seems very fitting that, um, you know, her beloved Scotland gets to give her uh, the right royal send-off. And it's a beautiful setting here today, and a lovely warm atmosphere where it seems like everyone's just here to celebrate her magnificent reign of 70 years. Also present was Kenny, a former soldier who was wearing insignia from his military unit. I remember the time when I actually met her at the Gars Depot and I had my wife with me. My wife took two steps back because the Queen was coming because she was a bit afraid. And the Queen just come up to her and says, I meet strangers every day of the week. And that said, and of course, my wife being five, uh, four foot uh, ten and a bit and the Queen being four foot eleven, the Queen said to her, oh, I see there's somebody at least smaller than me. <laughs> and that broke the ice. And she, that is the Queen for you. She will break the ice for you. It's been five days since the Queen's death, but for King Charles III, his duty to the Crown continues. During Monday, His Majesty will make his first visit as a monarch to Parliament, where members of the elected House of Commons and appointed House of Lords will offer condolences. He'll then fly to Scotland with his wife, the Queen Consort.
It's there the king and his siblings will follow the coffin as it's taken to St Giles, where there'll be a service to celebrate the life of Queen Elizabeth. The Crown of Scotland will be placed on top of the coffin and those wanting to pay their respects will be able to. The late Queen will then leave Scotland for the very last time, making her final journey to London, accompanied by the Princess Royal. There, her coffin will be taken to Westminster Hall, where she'll lie in state from Wednesday afternoon until the day of the funeral. The details surrounding funeral plans were made in consultation with Queen Elizabeth herself. Simon Lewis is the Queen's former communications secretary. I was at the palace nearly 20 years ago and even then there was an almost final document. So it's without doubt what every single element is what the Queen would have wanted and would have signed off on. I think that's remarkable. Clearly there are circumstances and we're seeing this extraordinary outflow uh, of sort of affection towards the Queen. And you, know, you never know what the kind of emotional element is going to be, but the kind of the process, the meticulous detail, the accession council, the cortege, all that would have been absolutely pre-planned and signed off by the late Queen. It's a busy day for the monarch as he gets to grips with his new role while also laying his mother to rest. Julian Payne was King Charles's communications secretary and knows him well. This is somebody that was up and at his desk very early in the morning and working through uh, till very late at night. Indeed, I would go in with one, what I thought, very simple question uh, to be answered and come out with about half a dozen new instructions of things to do. So, But also, as a person, I've always thought he was just an incredibly kind and emotionally articulate person. And what I think you saw in the King's address just the other day was just a few signs of that ability to connect with people on an emotional level, as well as being very mindful of the fact that he is taking on this extraordinary um, role as head of state. And people across the country have been paying tribute to Queen Elizabeth II in their own way. Listen to this. This is the moment a security guard teamed up with a Cambridge University organist for an impromptu opera tribute at London Bridge Station. Anna Lapwood is the director of music at Pembroke College, Cambridge. She says she decided on the spur of the moment to stop off and play the station's public organ. It was during this performance that the station security guard Marcella asked her to play Lascia Chiopianga, an Italian aria by Handel which translates as Let Me Cry. Marcella, it turns out, is a trained singer. Times of London Daily World Briefing on the way, what will happen to the late Queen's beloved corgis? But first to Ukraine, where there have been big gains for Kyiv and retaliation from Moscow. Ukraine's rapid counter-offensive has surprised everyone, including the Russians. Its troops are gaining territory on several fronts in the east, planting blue and yellow flags in previously occupied territory. Ukrainian forces fighting, 
There are pictures of Russian weapons lying abandoned. Journalists have been denied access to the front lines, but several videos on social media show Ukrainian troops present in towns and villages that were, until recently, held by Russia. Solomia Bolfroska's deputy head of the Ukrainian delegation in NATO. She told Times Radio the Ukrainians had made significant advances. We can exactly say that modern three small but main towns which were taken under occupation in March um, has been deoccupied. That's Balaklia, Izum, Kupiansk. Images of victory from the eastern city of Kupiansk, a key logistics hub for the Russian army. You know, war doesn't proceed in a linear direction. Richard Spencer's The Times correspondent in Kharkiv. He says the turnaround in fortune in this war has come as a shock. No one really expected a breakthrough of this magnitude, so that's why it's caused such shock. I think people were... Uh, me included, we we saw this counteroffensive that had been announced by the Ukrainians, and we expected it to be a kind of slow um, grind. <laughs> Footage released apparently showing Ukrainian soldiers liberating a town which lies just north of Kharkiv. They're shouting glory to Ukraine. Ukrainian social media has been flooded with patriotic videos. The Ukrainians believe momentum is swinging their way. But the Russians aren't taking this lying down. There's a blackout in the city of Kharkiv after a fired power station, reportedly caused by Russian missiles, knocked out supplies. Millions are without light or heat. There were attacks too on a town in the south of the country. This man lives in one of the apartment blocks destroyed by the missiles. He says the only thing left standing is his toilet. The Russians still hold around a fifth of Ukraine, including the city of Kherson, the first to fall. As far as Moscow is concerned, the war isn't over, not by a long shot. The Times Daily World Briefing. Sport. We've got some pretty big news from the US Open. Here's John Jackson. Spanish teenager Carlos Alcaraz claimed his first Grand Slam title and became the youngest ever world number one in men's tennis with victory in the US Open men's final. Alcaraz beat Norway's Kasper Ruud in four sets to replace Russian Daniel Medvedev at the top of the rankings at the age of 19, breaking the mark set by Leighton Hewitt, who was 20 when he became number one back in 2001. The Spaniard is seen as a huge star of the future and also became the youngest US Open champion since Pete Sampras in 1990. Rude was competing in the second Grand Slam final of his career after he appeared in the final of this year's French Open. Sadly for him, it ended the same way at the Arthur Ashe Stadium as it did at Roland Garros back in June. Sunday's final was also the first featuring two men competing for both their first Grand Slam title and the world number one ranking. And finally, since the death of the Queen, there have been lots of questions about what happens to her corgis. They were as much a part of her reign as the crown itself. The dogs slept in their own corgi room in special wicker baskets lined with cushions and were reportedly fed fresh beef and rabbit prepared by a gourmet chef. They also went virtually everywhere with the late queen. Princess Diana once described them as a moving carpet. 
apparently because there were so many of them. It's been estimated Her Majesty owned some 30 corgis and dorgies, a corgi-dachshund mix during her reign. The latest pair, Muick and Sandy, were given to the late Queen by the Duke of York last year. And it's he and his family who will now look after them and keep them in the manner to which they've been accustomed. And that's your Times Daily World Briefing for Monday the 12th of September. This podcast from The Times is brought to you in partnership with Google Podcasts.